Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups, Queensland. In this special episode, we head north for a long overdue trip to Brisbane. There's a lot going on in the River City, so Twista visited River City Labs to find out what's up. We talked to Steve Baxter, probably the most recognized tech investor in Australia, then to Aaron Berkby, who runs the Moru D Accelerator out of Baxter's River City Labs. Finally, we talked to Red Eye founder and CEO Wayne Gerard about what it takes to scale into a global business. That, and I'll make a big call about Australia's next unicorn on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Braintree, the easy all-in-one payment solution for your app or website, and GetWorm, the place where startups and early adopters converge. Steve Baxter is easily the most recognized name in the Australian tech investing community. And this, of course, is because of his appearances on Channel 10's Shark Tank. What Steve manages to do is he manages to actually reveal how a savvy tech investor thinks and how they use their instincts and their experience to judge both the idea and the team that's giving a pitch. But of course, Steve Baxter is much more than an investor. He's a tech entrepreneur. He goes really all the way back to the beginning. He founded SENet. That's one of Australia's first ISPs from his home in Adelaide. Sold it off to Oz Email, and we're probably going to talk to him about Malcolm Turnbull. He then went on to found Pipe Networks. He sold that to TPG in 2008 for almost $400 million. And two years ago, Steve founded River City Labs, which is where we are recording today. It's the co-working space for the Queensland tech startup community. Steve, you are the man. Everyone said we needed to talk to you first, so we're leading off. Welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. No, thanks very much, mate. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. So take us back all the way to, what was it, 1993, 1994? Well, yeah, a long time ago, 1994, started the uh, business called SENet, a dial-up ISP. Um, that's when you when you realise that Linux can be a dial-in server. <laughs> a bit of a bit of a moment there, and um, then when you find that you can plug more than two modems into your computer, mm-hmm. and then things get out of control. So we started that business, uh, dial ISP, from our from a rented army married quarter. I was still a serving soldier at the time. And um, we uh, ended up discharging about a year later, and we that business just went went gangbusters. Uh, ended up having thirty five thousand customers, sixty five staff. In a year's um, time. Oh no, that would have been um, over the probably the five years, I suppose. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, we sold that in two thousand to Aussie Mail. I, I never met Malcolm Turnbull at that stage. Um, the press has me selling my business to him at this point in time because now he's prime minister. Uh, I knew he was there. I knew I knew of him. He's a very famous barrister in Australia. Right. Obviously, there's a lot of history with Malcolm Turnbull. Um, and he was a chairman, so I never got to meet him. Uh, and uh, but then you immediately went on and founded Pipe Networks. Yeah, so we came back to Brisbane. Uh, I met up with an old school chap uh, from 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 where I went to high school, and we we uh, started together uh, Pipe Networks, great company, telecommunications, a whole a wholesale provider of telecommunication services. Started out in, in something called peering or internet interconnection, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, pretty rapidly went into dark fiber, small scale data centers. Um, and our last big job was a submarine cable from from Sydney to Guam, mm-hmm. uh, which I'd say that you know that uh, the last thing I'd ever do. Is a hundred and forty million dollar submarine cable project eight months before the GFC <laughs> ever again. So it was exciting times. There was lots going on. Um, uh, we actually listed that company in two thousand and five on the on the ASX, and ended up selling it in two thousand and ten to TPG. To TPG, yeah. which is now I think what the second or third largest ISP in Australia after the purchase of IINET. Yeah, I read uh, a market cap this morning eight point three bill. David Tio has done fantastically. Yeah, really good. Yes, for someone who I think has only had his photos in the news as of this week. Very recently. (laughs) He has done very well. So what is it, do you think, what quality has made you not just a serial entrepreneur, but a successful serial entrepreneur? Because, you know, once, luck. Twice, not luck. Um, Well, uh, what what quality? Um, I I can't answer. I mean, I think that's up for others to answer. I don't don't look at myself that that deeply, to be honest. Um, I... I think once you're an entrepreneur, you, you, so I actually, in 2008, I left Pipe Networks and I went and did a stint with one year in uh, Mountain View, worked for Google in California. Right. And and that taught me that I was a very bad employee. <laughs> so um, 
So I, I know I'm no longer an employee, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, You've worked yourself out of working for someone else. Exactly. I think unless I have a large say in how things go, right. then I, I don't think I'm that, I'm that um, useful, to be honest. Um, so I, I, once you're bitten by it, it's hard to go back. So the first time there was, there was an opportunity. I, I literally, I actually was at, I was at a Linux, I joined the Linux Users Group in Adelaide, mm-hmm. um, South Australian Linux Users Group. And I looked over someone's shoulder when the, the first version of Mosaic came out and the, they, they just cracked the CGI, it wasn't even CGI 1 at that point in time, common gateway interface. I looked over that and I saw the forms and I went, I hadn't even used a web browser at this point in time. And you just knew what was going to happen. I knew the world was going to change. And went back that night, or probably the uh. next, next day I think, and my wife picked me up from work, I had a work function, so I had a beer, so she picked me up, my, my, my fiance picked me up from work and I said, oh, I've got this idea. And honestly, I thought she'd say, yeah, no, nah, we're not doing that. And she's turned around and gone, I said, yeah, I want to use the $11,000 home loan deposit to buy all this gear, set this up, do this. You want to bet, literally bet the farm. Yeah, bet the farm. And I thought she'd just say, no. Nah. And she's just scared, scared the shit out of me. She's going, oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so I'm um, like, now I've actually got to do it. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, fun days. We actually went back, just this Friday, last week went back, we had a 23 union of starting that business, mm-hmm. which wasn't quite 20, probably 20 and a half, but we called it a 23 union and probably quite about maybe 20 of the old staff out of the 60-odd, which is really cool. Wow. Mm. So what was it like functioning as a tech startup in Australia 20 years ago when there really wasn't any ecosystem to work within? Yeah, well, that was, um, it was tough. I mean, I, how we didn't mean, I, I didn't finish high school. I did a military, I did a, a, an apprenticeship for the military. I, my job was to repair compasses and binoculars, to be quite blunt. So, you know, I wasn't the tech, most techie guy around. Uh, went and bought some books and taught myself, to be honest. So, That's, you know, the first generation of computer folks like me almost all self-taught. You could not go and get a degree in this. Really? You could get a degree in how to write a really good search algorithm or maybe advanced AI. But this, or Pascal or something like that, if you know me at the time. But this street zone. stuff, no. Yeah. Everyone had to learn it. Yeah, did right. I, I don't see enough of that in that, I call, I call it mongrel. I don't see enough of that mongrel in entrepreneurs now to go out and actually acquire those skills. I find that disappointing. What was the question we're answering again? <laughs> um, uh, what was it like to actually like, function yeah. in an ecosystem before yeah. there was an ecosystem? Well, it was weird because um, I, I learned I had to network and I Networking, you know, unless you're an out, unless you're an outward sort of salesy type person, networking's hard. It's not natural at all. So you've got to almost force yourself to do it. I was lucky. I, I um, t- got, got to know some people, and we ended up starting an industry association called the South Australian Internet Association. So we, st- I started, and I, I co-founded, I suppose, in a lot of respects, but me and three other blokes, um, this industry association we kicked it off the ground so you, you built the ecosystem if there wasn't an ecosystem you went and built it I built it, it yeah did right and did the same at Pipe Networks we ended up starting something called um, uh, Osnog Australian Network Operators Group which is tailored off the, the, the US NANOG North American Network Operators Group but we just needed to bring these network engineers together and I, I knew I wasn't the smartest guy around I'm not dumb but you know, those people with far more experience and far more uh, capacity to do a lot of really smart things I, I knew I had to talk to them and very rarely do you actually compete with them it's weird and you, you can sit and have a conversation. It's very rare you actually compete, despite the fact you think you're in the same industry. Mm. So um, you can, and you apply them with a couple of beers and you get their secrets out of them. So it's all good. <laughs> all right. So now, two years ago, you decided that you were going to open up River City Labs. Yeah. So we, we sold, uh, Pipe Networks got sold in 2010. I took about six months off. Uh, started doing some tech and started doing some investing, some mentoring to start with, and some investing. I saw a fantastic facility in Sydney called Fishburners. Um, and Literally came back to Brisbane and thought, right, where's the fish burners in Brisbane? Mm-hmm. There must be all the tech startups hanging around there. Couldn't find it and thought, how hard can that be? And uh, the answer is, the answer is three and a half years later, very hard. I was going to so, say, we can ask Murray Herbs, he'll roll his eyes to that. I'll tell you what, well, it, it's, it's cost me a lot more than I, I'd hoped it would. And I have not been disappointed in spending that. It's been disappointed it's cost that much. Um, we've learned a lot of lessons. We've learned that real estate model in a town where real estate's essentially cheap and traffic's pretty good. It's not a model. Mm-hmm. It's a bad model uh, for revenue. So we deliver most of our value to the community through events, and we do events like you went three a week. I think we're averaging at the moment, which is way too many. I'm surprised my staff aren't like revol- you know, literally you know, palace revolts. Um, so we, we do the events. We bring mentors in, and we mm-hmm. just we, we try and smash we try and smash people together and make conviviality happen. Right. So. Uh, we do rent desks out. We've got a lot more support from some great corporate supporters, the likes of uh, RBS Morgan's, Bank of Queensland, Suncorp. We've got these awesome community supporters who are really helping out. And now Telstra with the Murudi Accelerator as well. So there's some great corporate support out there. And that's, with the, with the real estate model, we were finding that because we had to put bums on seats, we would take any Joe Blow off the street because right. we sort of had to. And that was actually leading to, to bad downstream effects. Not that we got any Muppets. We didn't, we didn't get any 
any bad influences in here. We just got Muppets, I suppose. People who really shouldn't be doing this and we just time sinks for the for the sector. Yeah. And so when we now we can actually allocate space to people, we can actually say, right, we like you, you can stay. And that's that's actually a lot more powerful. So in the two years that River City Labs has been going and sort of forming this anchor of the ecosystem here in Brisbane and in, in Greater Queensland, how have you seen things starting to change? I tell you, it's been um, so I, I run a fam, I run an investing office. So I used to be in here. I used to be in River City Labs. So I'm now just over the road. Mm-hmm. We, we bought a couple of uh, tenancies over there, and so I've got a chief investment officer, and I've got five or six staff. I've got the six staff actually staff members starting on Tuesday next week, who help me invest and run these portfolios. And it's my chief investment officer, a, a chap who was actually my um, CFO and company secretary at Pipe when we listed it. He's he's my CIO. And he, he keeps talking about how he can feel it change. He's a numbers man. He's an accountant. He doesn't get emotional. And when about the things. numbers man says he can feel the yeah. change, when the numbers man says he can see the change, that's even that's even cooler, right? So, and look, in the last eight days, it's surreal. The whole Malcolm Turnbull thing has just exploded, and it's awesome. All right. So, but before that, last month we saw the Advanced Queensland plan come out, and you actually were involved in this. So, t- tell us a little bit about what that plan is. Um, so, the plan is they've, they've uh, the, the new government here uh, has an allocation of funding to help support the startup sector. And I think they're still trying to understand what that means. The startup sector um, through various, and I, I believe it, it's between seventy-two and one hundred eighty million dollars, depending how you count it. I, I think <laughs> it's, because it's government money. I think well, no, it won't be seventy-six. I think seventy-six to one hundred eighty million dollars. I, I, I think very much for startups, there's seventy-six million dollars worth. Mm-hmm. The rest of that is actually going back to the research and university sector, okay. which is already the the benefactor of so much largest. It makes me just makes me angry. But um, not that I don't get it, but why why do I need more of our one hundred eighty million bucks? If you know what I mean. So I'm a firm believer that what we haven't actually encouraged in Australia is the business model disruption startups. Yeah. So we've got research and biomed and God, all this sort of stuff that we've been paying for for years, and to be honest, hasn't given us a return. Why don't we actually just concentrate on the, the, the Ubers, Airbnbs, and Dropboxes of the world, as opposed to the the, the, the bionic ears and the, all the rest of it? They're, they're both valid businesses. One hasn't been both valid sectors. One hasn't been actually uh, chased after enough. Yeah, so, as a part of the startup, sorry, Advanced Queensland funding, yeah. um, they've got. I think they've now brought down to about seven or eight pro, seven or eight different things we're going to try. Everything from startup precincts to um, some commercialization vouchers. What have we else? We've got um, some some programs dedicated towards fifteen a younger younger set of people. Um, Coda Dojo programs and Kid Club Kid Club Entrepreneur programs. Oh, there's a I can't I can barely think of any of them to be honest. Um, but there's a, there's eight or ten, and they're throwing some so. And, We've sat down and said, look, if you're going to do this, you get so many opinions on what's broken about ecosystems. And someone always says, ah, look, venture capital's broken. I'm like, yeah, is it really? I'm an investor and I don't see enough deal flow that I want to invest in. So the thing that I find to be frustrating with startup entrepreneurs is they'll, they love the word pivot, right? And they go, well, I'm going to pivot. If a customer's not buying my thing, I'm going to pivot. Okay, that makes a bit of sense. You know? don't, don't pivot yourself out of a good business, at least give it a go for a while. But... When an investor says, when and when they go to raise money, or as I tend to call it, sell their equity, right, 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 and they go to the customer, the investor, and say, "Do you want to buy?" And the, and the customer goes, "No." The customer's wrong. Ah, oh, there's not enough investors around for my equity. I'm like, you don't, you actually have, have failed to understand the commercial transaction that's occurring here. <laughs> yes. So they uh, ain't buying. That uh, is the commercial transaction. They ain't buying. So so when you so it's there, there are there are I do believe there are issues with investment in, in Australia and in Brisbane, but. I, I think we need deal flow. We, we need we need we need two, three, four thousand businesses being started. More businesses being started. All right. How do we get there? How do we get to that point yeah. where there's two or three thousand more being started? So in a multi in a multi government approach, this, yeah. this this is this is my diatribe. This is where I think we should look at it. If we look at it as a funnel, we need to stick lots of kids in the funnel. So right. we need to get people with the right skills, uh, tech and coding skills primarily, uh, STEM skills as we call them. Yeah. Um, uh, when they hit the higher education, so that's in the high school type area. When yeah. they hit the high, higher education institutions, literally we should pull the hex levers. This is an Australian show, isn't it? So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone knows what hex is. Oh yeah. So hex is the, the higher education contribution scheme. The nice thing is that you can monkey with those schemes, and it doesn't hit your forward. So the budget forward estimates is four years out. Mm. This money gets gets tallied up at five, six, eight, ten years down the track, if you know what I mean, because of how the, how the, the payments come in. So you can bugarise around with that. It won't actually hit your budget for another decade. So let's have our kids pay for it. It's all good. 
But so you can sit there and say, right, if you want to do one of these STEM subjects, so let's identify well, that. If there are 4,000 tech companies in the funnel, your kids will be able to pay for it. That's the that, thing. That is the thing, yeah, dead right. So um, that's a bit of a rising tide there, right? Yeah. So um, sort of say, right, if, if we want more people coming through there, let's let's pay for it. Let's, let's, let's make the, the, the degrees cost less. But only at the same time of every year you do some sort of entrepreneurial elective which is not inside a university because universities are uh, inauthentic enterprise zones. Yes. You've got to get them out and get them into it. So they've got to, they've got to do like a startup weekend or a, or a lean startup or machine a or a hackathon or, a hackathon or, or something once a year and then they qualify or maybe twice a year then they qualify yeah. for, the, for the discount hex. So we've exposed them to it. I don't think we can do too much more. Yeah. Um, and, and okay, so we get through there. Uh, we get the kids coming out of university. Kids, I'm sorry, young adults coming out of university. Um, we need uh, emphasis on uh, then educating early stage investors and then the accelerators, for example. So we mm-hmm. have Muru D here. We have the iLab Germinate. There's, there's a bunch of others we probably could do. Uh, then you need to understand, uh, then you need to get to the, uh, the angel investors, the early stage investors. And Queensland Government now has the Business Development Fund, 40 million bucks in there as well. So if we take that pipeline approach, uh, I give the example of Israel, and it, it, Israel and Silicon Valley, when you throw those into conversation, there's a lot of eye rolling, and I can get that because they are such corner cases. They're, they're far right you know, out there. But for a country of 8.2 million people to have 7,600 decent startups, mm. that's about one in 1,000. Mm. That means we should have 20,000 in this country, and we probably have 1,200. Mm. We're a long way away from moving the dial on this yes. baby yet, so yes. we are missing deal flow. That was a long answer, I'm sorry. But that was a good... I don't think anyone in the entire history of this series has laid it out as clearly as that. All right. Final question. If you had... I, I'm giving you a magic wand. You can fix one thing about the ecosystem... Don't do it. Don't do it. In, in Brisbane, in Queensland, in Australia. What do you do? One of my hobby horses here. I get asked by politicians a lot, what's the two things you'd fix? And what's the, what's the one magic bullet? I said, no, I need a magic machine gun. <laughs> in that pipeline, in that pipeline there are 20 things. I reckon around the world there are there are 20 programs that work pretty well for government expenditure, but in any one uh, uh, jurisdiction, mm. probably only six to 10 actually work. Sure. But if you, if you look at the whole set, right, um, we need to try all those 20 and figure out what our six to 10 are. Okay, which is, so, that's fair. That's a lean approach, right? Mm, it, it, right? Very much. It's a startup approach. Yeah. It is it, very much. So, Start stuff out there. Okay, so I, I, actually, uh, there was another question I wanted to ask. The advanced Queensland model, is that the kind of thing that you and folks like you need to be going to Turnbull to right now and say, look, at this is what we need at the national level? It's not bad. It's a good start. I, I, I do like how they've, they've uh, there's things I like about the program, things I don't like about the program. Mm-hmm. So um, I do like how they've, they're attempting to spread it across the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Time will tell if, if they get it right. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a good attempt and it's a very, very good crack. Um, obviously, different layers of government in Australia can control different things. And if we talk about the, I think the biggest thing they could actually control right now is that just pull those hex levers. Work out what businesses we want to fundamentally influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best way that governments, the most efficient use of, in my opinion, the most efficient use of government funds when it comes to varying economic activity is in affecting the rate of business formation. Right. When a business is going and has customers, you actually want to get out of its way. If, you, if you're trying to tantalise it with bits and pieces to work with the government or here's a grant, we're going to distract, distract you. you. They can care less. Yeah. But if you want to have an impact here, say, right, you know, we'll pull these hex levers. There's some, there's some obviously some AC accelerating, communica- uh, accelerating commercialisation, excuse me, and there's some other grant programs. I know my one magic bullet now. I know my one magic bullet. And I, um, is it Kelly O'Dwyer? Who's the small business minister yes. now? Yeah, right. Listen to this one, Kelly O'Dwyer. The NICE scheme, New Enterprise Incentive Scheme. It's a scheme where you get job start for a year. It's worth between eight and twenty-four thousand bucks a year, depending if you get your rental assistance uh, to start a job, to to start a new small enterprise. Um, it's very much tailored towards butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, if you know what I mean, as opposed to tech startup. Right. There's a small company here who wrote a game called Fruit Ninja, mm. right? Half Brick yep. Studios. I heard the other day, Chanel actually got his start through the NICE program. So that needs. So it, at the moment, it looks tech unfriendly. You can read it, read it on with your head tipped to the side and make it tech friendly. If you know what I mean. Right. Let's just stand out there and say, right. Let's That's turn, a let, tiny let, tweak right there. Let, exactly, because the infrastructure there, the payments yeah. there, everything's yeah. all set up right. You've got to do like a, a four-week cert for course on bookkeeping. That's not a bad thing. 
to be honest. No, that's a good thing we could, for an entrepreneur. We could probably bend it towards some of the accelerator programs, to yeah. be honest. We could, you know, do various things there. So I'm like, and you get job start for a year to pursue your business whilst earning revenue. So you, you, even despite the fact you're earning revenue, you actually get to keep this job start cash. Now I'm thinking to myself, that ain't bad. So, you know, I, I would look at the Nice scheme, and I've, I've told Ed Husick about that too, Kelly, if you're listening, and White Roy knows about it as well. I think you should all get together and do it. Sorry. And on, no, on that very preachy note, Steve Baxter, very much thank you for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Beautiful, mate. Thanks for the time. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I'd just like to say a few words about Twister Sponsor's Braintree Code for easy online payments. Developers around the world have used Braintree's V.0 SDK as a simple way to accept PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever's next. So with a single scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world, making your global expansion a snap. Using Braintree is as easy as integrating a few lines of code, but don't take their word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com slash twista. Aaron Berkby is the entrepreneur in residence at River City Labs and co-founder of the Silicon Lakes Incubator and has served as founder and CTO of a really interesting range of companies. I'm going to reel some off. Internet Here, Arinda Internet, Veraluma, Coded Intelligence. So serial entrepreneur seems to be an excellent description of what Aaron is. And now he's taking those skills and using them to mentor others at River City Labs. So Aaron, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you for having me. So tell me, first off, what is an entrepreneur in residence? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I, I'm still working it out myself, to be honest. Um, but I guess the role serves many different purposes. So one is a, a chief mentor wrangler. So um, I guess if you think of it in terms of what my goal is, it's, it's to help these five startups that we've selected for the MiraD program here at River City Labs to actually ensure that they have runway at the end of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's getting the right people in front of them at the right time. Right. Um, so mentor wrangler in terms of finding the right advisors to help them. Right. Um, there's also an investor wrangler angle to it as well. <laughs> so, so Okay, so let me just ask, which is harder, mentor wrangling or investor wrangling? So far, I, I say the investor side has actually been surprisingly easy no, no, so this, far. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, Absolutely. The the mentor side, finding the people with the exact specific need, uh, sorry, skills or access to markets or geographical regions, that's actually more challenging. Um, and this is a, you know, a broader conversation about finding people who have the expertise who also then make great mentors as yes. a skill um, yes. is always a battle. So, so far that's probably the hardest or harder part of my role. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I guess the other part of the role as well is uh, d- design of the program and delivery of the program. So bringing in the guest speakers, mm-hmm. the masterclass experts, mm-hmm. um, and then fundamentally holding the teams accountable. So making sure that they set their goals and, and do the weekly stand-ups and actually report back on those um, and making them accountable to uh, a process and traction, but also to each other a little bit as well. Do you find that you have to do a lot of, I don't know, pushing or perhaps encouraging in that aspect? Is it because they're not used to it or is it because they're so busy doing other things they don't understand process? I think mostly the, the second. So the way I'd probably put it is, they're all very busy, but are they busy on the right things? So there's a little bit of calibration of their headlights and thinking. Um, But then also, I guess, you know, and this is a universal battle, but you you see the tech founders who love to spend time hitting the laptop coding rather than actually out engaging. So um, accountability or making sure that they're, they're using their time in the right areas. Um, which is always a battle, but Mick uh, Labinskis has been up talking to them all yesterday about focus, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but very much on this topic of yeah, holding them accountable to something that's actually going to have a significant impact on their startup this week. So yeah, do you really help them sort of plan week by week? Here are your goals for this week, and here's how you can tell whether you've reached those goals. 
The way we so the mode we're in right now, we're in week two of the program. Mm -hmm. We're setting the the three month traction targets. Mm -hmm. So determining what success looks like at the end of the program, and then working back from that. All right, let, let, let's jump up a level. So you mentioned that there's a Morudi program here. So Morudi yes. is essentially, I guess, almost franchising itself rather than setting up little offices in all of the cities. They're working yeah. with folks who are already in the cities. You folks being the Brisbane office, you are the. Uh, Mick was telling me the the experiment. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to, we all have to hope that this goes, I guess, really well. What t tell us briefly about the five companies you selected and how you identified them, and if they're at all typical of the kinds of companies you're seeing coming out of Queensland. Sure. So the process has been actually quite fast to select them. So uh, the the Mirror D program out of Sydney pr first reached out to us probably three months ago, if that. Mm. There was a competitive bid among six cities, and, and Brisbane has won it. So we do have that pressure now of actually validating this business model. Yeah. From from when we actually had all that finalised to the launch of the program was three to four weeks. So we well, literally it was very fast. So. We had to promote, open the application window. We were we were open for two months. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of roadshow events, so promoting to the ecosystem and I guess introducing the program to Brisbane in particular. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and that was basically an online application process. So we had roughly 60 startups, uh, mostly from Queensland, but a lot from interstate, some from overseas apply. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so one out of the UK, one out of India, and then a scattering of others. Mm -hmm. um, from that, the, the Mirror D Mentor Network out of Sydney plus our own, uh, there were some 700 reviews done of those online applications in about 36 hours. <laughs> Very fast track. I, I could see someone just with their eyes open clicking at a browser as they go, no, yes, no, no. Almost. Yeah. Uh, so from that, we selected 27 for interview. Uh, so the teams all came into Brisbane. We... Uh, interviewed, called it down to... Did they pitch or was it just interviews? It was interviews. So they most had already completed a video pitch as part of their online application. Yeah. Um, but really this was more deep diving into them as founders and questions about their model. And yeah. it, it's more, I mean, 80% of the selection process was fundamentally on the founders. Right. Um, but looking for global businesses, doing something innovative and ideally if they've got an MVP and some sort of early traction was preferred. So... Are there any particular qualities of the kinds of startups that are starting to come out of Queensland? I mean, we know from going to Perth that there's a lot of focus on resources and agriculture. Is there a particular mm. quality to what's happening here? It, it's interesting. So there's a lot of talk of gaming with Half Brick Studios here. Right. Uh, Steve Baxter ran up uh, Right Pedal Studios with a gaming focus. Um, so there are there is some activity in that space. One thing that's been quite interesting just recently, so when I say recent, maybe six to 12 months, mm. but... The, the health tech meetup uh, has gone gangbusters. So there's over 300 active members in that group, a large number of health That's techs. That's gotta be way the biggest in Australia, right? I, I believe so. So I think it was originally a concept running out of Melbourne mm -hmm. and the guys here had an open conversation and basically copied that model mm -hmm. and, and immediately picked up a massive amount of interest. So I think there's some, there's some good research institutes here in that space and I think that's helped. Um, but that health tech group doesn't necessarily connect into the other aspects of the ecosystem. Right. So we've got this interesting dynamic where we probably don't stumble across them every day, but they are there um, in numbers. The other thing, when you step outside of Brisbane, what gets interesting is up north, there's some, uh, there's some ag tech. Mm. Um, down on the Gold Coast, there's uh, Gavera, music sharing app similar to Spotify. Oh, okay. That's picking up traction out of Asia. Um, there's some more B2B type software plays down on the Gold Coast as well. So it's interesting. I actually don't, I can't yet pick a winner, like a vertical that's going to take off and define Brisbane um, because outside of it, there's a broad thing. And our conversation before offline about the mining and resources sector, right. we, we haven't probably seen that evolve yet here. Um, so that's one area that I, I'm a little bit surprised at actually. Is, does Queensland's proximity to Asia play a role in the kinds of things and the kinds of ways you think about markets? I mean, Sydney tends to think about Australia as the market. Mm. Does does Queensland and Brisbane, are they a little bit more focused on Asia? No, it, it's definitely a topic of conversation, but I don't, I don't see the startup founders getting on planes and actually executing it mm. or connecting. Um, it's funny, if, if, I, if I wanted to be a bit critical, it's almost like we look at uh, Sydney sometimes as, oh, there's this big market down there, let's focus <laughs> right. there. 
Um, and, and that came out in the roadshow with the selection process for this, you know, talking to startups about, right, what's your scaling plans? What markets are you going to hit? And they start articul- articulating Sydney. <laughs> it's, it's a, <laughs> if your aspiration is Sydney, you are not thinking big enough. Exactly. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with Sydney. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, this, it's one of these things that a market of four million people, it's kind of like saying oh, we have New Zealand as our market. And having been to New Zealand and seeing New Zealand companies inherently have an international focus because they know their market's not big enough. Yeah. Right? They get forced overseas right away. All right. So where do we see... Brisbane and Queensland going and growing as a tech startup ecosystem? What, what are the ways you think it will grow over the next couple of years? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm actually really excited with where we're at at the moment. So a couple of things have come together, create a perfect storm. So the ecosystem itself is becoming more collaborative. Um, we, we, there's a, a startup working group that reports to the Minister for Science and Innovation that's sort of connected the top level uh-huh, of the ecosystem. Good. And this, of course, is what we're trying to get going federally right now. Yes. Now that Turnbull is PM, okay. Absolutely. So, And that, that's been going for a little while now and certainly long enough to have had an impact at a government level where just recently we saw the announcement of Advanced Queensland, which is this right. program with an allocation of 180 million in total, 180, yeah. uh, of which I'd say, depending on how you break it down, maybe 74 million of that is targeted t- towards startups and the innovation, if I use it broadly. But what, okay, what does that mean? How is that? That's not an investment pool, or is it? There's or? a fraction of it which is. So there's a $40 million co-investment fund, which right. seems to be modelled off the New Zealand uh, seed uh, co-investment yes, fund. Yes, which, and we talked to the head of that when we were there, and it's a right. really nice model. It so. seems to be working. Yeah. So that that's a that's a plus. The other programs, they're in discussion, but there's programs mentioned like a startup Chile type program, but not quite the same. So it's more like uh, bring the best startups in the world to Queensland. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some grants for student promoting student entrepreneurship. Yep. Uh, there's some fellowship grants. There's they're also looking at um, models around procurement, improving procurement to government, those sort of things. Right. But there's, I guess the big one is a precinct. So they're talking about this building a precinct here in Brisbane for the is, startup. Is this going to be the precinct? Is it going to be? It hasn't around? been settled yet. Um, well, goodness knows. Fortitude Valley could use the input, right? Yes. I mean, it's it's really funny. I keep on thinking I've been coming to Fortitude Valley since I've been coming to Brisbane, and it's less skanky than it used to be, but it's still a little, still a little um, rough. Absolutely. I look at it as the potential of what could be if we build an awesome tech community yeah. here. So, um, so I'm feeling really positive about everyone seems to be pointing in the same direction. Um, there seems to be a lot of appetite and interest. Mm. Um, there seems to be more engagement happening at schools locally, uh, with the universities and students. Um, the other interesting thing that's happening right now in Queensland is a large amount of corporate interest in terms of sponsorship, in terms of engagement. In so like the Suncorps and the other big players want to come in? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is part of the advantage. The, the, the Telstra Mira D program I've noticed so far, we're only in week two, but already it has been a magnet for attracting some of those corporates um, when you have one of the big ones on board, the other yes. ones just say, it's like a magnet. You're absolutely yeah. right. It, they, they sort of get polarized around yeah, it. Absolutely. So lots of conversations weekly, if not daily now, with right. different corporates. The, the battle there is uh, they come and say, we, we know we need to be doing something in this innovation space. We've heard about startups. They're exciting. We've got this money. What do we do? Um, it's like, yes, we'll solve that problem for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just give us the money and we'll solve the problem. Um if you had a magic wand and you could change anything about the way things are in Queensland, in mm. the startup community, what's the one thing that you would fix? I would love to see more Steve Baxter type individuals in the ecosystem coming back and paying it forward. So are, I mean, but is there is there that supply here yet? I mean, we no. That, yes. Okay, so you're going to have to make some of those. I think so. So uh, we, I mean, Steve's done an amazing job here um, out of his own pocket rolling up the sleeves and executing uh, there's others like I'll, I'll give a shout out to Michael Dempsey so the founder of Easy Debit had his exit early in the year did really well out of it very interested in getting involved in the ecosystem mm-hmm. and, and paying it forward mm-hmm. um, very genuine guy and the more of those that we have the better um, and the reason I mention that is that's my one magic one thing is when I speak when I spend time in Silicon Valley, the first thing I notice is just the depth of experienced people who've had their exits, but they're there in their t-shirts paying it forward for that next generation and incredibly generous with their time. Um, so the more of those that we can have that expertise and those network 
effects that come from that. I think that would be one thing that would accelerate us phenomenally. Aaron Berkby, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few words about Twister sponsors Get Warm. Startups need to attract early adopters before they reach out to a larger crowd, and GetWorm is the place where startups and early adopters converge. It's the platform where startups can incentivize early adoption through the creation of perks, rewards for being part of the all-important first group of users. If, like me, you're the kind of person who likes to try new things, sign up as an early adopter on GetWorm and maintain your leading-edge cred while getting some great perks from the latest startups. The early bird gets the worm at getworm.com. Every spring, I get invited to the Tech 23 conference. I always make the time to do it because it's a day of pitches, 23 of the hottest startups in Australia. And so when I went last year, I have to admit that I wasn't actually terribly impressed with any of the startups that I heard pitching, except one. When Wayne Gerard took to the stage and he explained his startup, Red Eye, he explained that, that it had removed all of the pain points around the storage and retrieval of engineering documents. I had perked up because the thing is, I had just had this startup that had to manage the engineering drawings for all of our work, which was important intellectual property, which I, as a director of that company, was actually charged with making sure was taken care of properly at all times because it was my legal responsibility. But I could also see how the industrial designers we were working for had to manage it and all the systems that they had and how kind of clumsy and unnatural they were. And I knew immediately, I just knew how important a service could be like that and how big the potential market globally could be. Now, Red Eye was overlooked by the judges that day. And I don't actually understand the reasons because it's a solution, it's a business model, and it's a market. And when I'm judging a startup, that's the winning combination. But I did make a note that I would get Wayne on the show the first time Twista came to Brisbane. And so, Wayne, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks so much, Mark. Great to be here. So tell me a little bit about where you got the idea for Red Eye and, and how you actually brought it into being. Yeah, no problems. We were literally sitting on a cold terminal in North Queensland, and we were the recipients of the incorrect engineering data just too many times. So, you know, we really understand the problem. Right. And we went and looked across the entire market for a solution to the problem we very quickly realized there was nothing purpose-built. Right. And so we thought, you know, here's an opportunity to actually provide a really valuable service, give control of the, of, of the asset owner's intellectual property or, you know, the engineering, uh, yeah, the asset owner's intellectual property back to them. And that was actually going to disrupt the market as well. So good chance to completely change your market. So how long ago was that? How long ago did you get started? We came up with the idea in the middle of 2011. Okay. We made the decision to start, and uh, we started in January 12. Wow. So, okay, so you're three and a half years in. Yeah. And how, how was it a hard sell to be able to convince people that there was this thing? Because the thing is, particularly engineering companies, we, they're actually rather conservative in the way they adopt tools and actually rightfully so because buildings don't fall down and things like this, but but they are conservative. Even getting them into computer-aided design has taken the better part of a generation. So have you seen them taking up things like this? Yeah, look, it's um, we purposely sell to the people that own the assets and the infrastructure. So our clients are power stations, coal mines, oil and gas companies, right. hospitals, um, people like that, and they intuitively understand the problem because they've all experienced it themselves. Because they're all at the call phase. Yeah, that's it, literally, right? And so, um, yeah, we've we've been lucky to get some really good, high-profile clients, uh, you know, right from the start. Who? Our first client was BHP Billiton. Okay, you cannot do better than that in Australia, that's yeah. true. Biggest mining company in the world. Yep. Um, we then moved on to uh, Shell's uh, oil and gas joint venture here in Australia, Arrow Energy. Yep. Um, we opened an office in uh, Houston in June 2014. We wa- have you just come back from there? Yeah, just got back on the weekend. Yeah. And uh, we've now got five full-time people and two part-time people there. So we're growing rapidly there. And that's the oil and gas capital of the world. Absolutely. So, right. right. And so we've, we've just finished a, a really good project with uh, BHP's petroleum business there, actually. Wow. So you, okay, so you actually now have 
was the decision to go international something that you contemplated from the get-go, or was it something that you saw that you needed to do as a part of your growth strategy? Yeah, well, I wanted to build a startup from the get-go. I wanted to find a problem that was that was causing an enormous amount of pain for our clients, mm-hmm. a problem that was relevant in every market, in you know, geography, and I also wanted to find a problem that was uh, relevant across a bunch of different industries. And you know, engineering drawings are used by so many industries in so many geographies. Engineering just... drawings are the foundation of civilization. I mean, you can't really get much more simple than that. Without engineering drawings, you don't have pyramids. Damn straight, right? you're right. Yeah. So for us, it was like a logical thing. I also, I'm really passionate about the ecosystem, and I wanted to build a startup that could become a, an example or a case study for for what's possible out of uh, you know an emerging ecosystem like Brisbane. So. Then, okay, well, let, 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 let's flip that over. Is there a reason why it happened here in Brisbane? I mean, you've been an entrepreneur working in Brisbane for a number of years, arguably one of the first. This is what people yep. have told me about you. So was there something that was very natural about Red Eye coming out of Brisbane, that the talent pool and the ideas were here? So Brisbane's world-renowned for the mining uh, technology that it produces globally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we are an innovative city, uh, unquestionably. I think um, the whole momentum behind startups and the model that, you know, the startup model is you know relatively new to the city, yeah, and you can see that new everywhere. So yeah, and so I think um, we identified a problem that we then went actually you know we're a startup, right? And we can engage uh, in the startup community in a really effective way. And I think so. I think it was it's natural, and I would hope that we'd see more enterprise startups coming out of Brisbane because we understand the problems in the market and we have we have enormous resources here. Well, and this is, you know, maybe this is one of the reasons why you didn't get a gong at Tech 23 because everyone wants a startup to be B2C. They want the yeah. consumer and and I'm thinking but the money's all in the enterprise kids, right? You know, B2B is you're solving business problems, you're helping businesses save money, you have business customers and business customers aren't fickle. Right. When they find a solution, they tend to stick with it because it's the easiest thing for them to do. So uh, how do you get people who are interested in doing startups in this ecosystem thinking about doing business products rather than doing sexy consumer products? I think we've got to have some case studies. We've got to have some successes. in so the runs market. on the board. Yeah, that's it, right? And it's the same in any market. Yeah. I think, um, you know, B2E or business to enterprise is, is a really, really valuable market. And we could differentiate our ecosystem if we encourage more people to think about doing you know, enterprise startups. So the first question I think about when you're saying B2E or, or B2B is that the sales process, the sales cycle, just making sales to a BHP, which is this vast, I don't know how many tens of thousands employees BHP has, right? But 200,000. Okay, so 200,000. So huge. And... What, what is the procurement process like for a company that has 200,000 people? And how did you as a startup even know where to get started with that? I, I guess I'm lucky. Having you know started a bunch of businesses and worked in, in those heavy industrial sectors, mining, oil and gas, uh, engineering for the last 15, 20 years, I have some really solid relationships. Right. So, so you were able to leverage relationships, but someone else, how do, they, how do they get in if they're trying to, if they have this amazing product, where do they start? I think do they call you and say, who do I talk to? Absolutely, and we'd happily do it, right? In fact, we are doing it for a whole bunch of people. Um, yeah, question for you. How, how long do you reckon our sales cycle is? For, I would say it's six to nine months, right? 4.7 months is our average sales cycle. Okay, all right, so that's good. That's good. That's better than I thought. Yeah. And that's not bad. No, it's not, right? right? A lot of people, I think a lot of people and a lot of venture capitalists, in my experience, don't they assume the worst yeah. without really understanding. And I think um, if you do startups the right way and you have the right solution and it's niche, you can actually sell something relatively quickly. You know, we've had sales that have taken one month from the moment we engaged to the because moment we people, closed. Because people, uh, business saw this and says, shut up and take my money, basically. Damn, right? damn straight, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what exactly <laughs> what you wanted, a customer reaction. Yes, thank you, can be your credit card. All right, how many people are working at Red Eye now? So this time last year we were nine people. Right. Today we're forty-five. That's what I thought you were going to say. So tell me what it took for you to grow 
500% in terms of your personnel over the last 12 months. How did you manage that? Without sleeping, really. (laughs) (laughs) No, but how did you find the right people? How do you fit them in? How do you grow the organization like that so quickly? So I'm absolutely passionate about culture. I believe that if you can build the right culture from day one, then you'll attract people that will give you more than 100% effort. Mm. And that more than 100% effort that catalyzes the results you can get and that leads to more great people being attracted to your business and it also leads to opportunities in your client base, more referrals and all those things put together uh, allow you to scale. So did you just find the right people walking through the door or did you have to actually actively go go recruit through your network for those people? We we are very active recruiters. Mm all the time I actually have a full-time recruiter on staff now she's been with us for about five months Wow! Okay. and um, absolutely fantastic decision for the business I've run activities where I'll go like the whole team tools down let's focus for two hours on recruiting mm-hmm. jump on LinkedIn talk to everyone in your network right I encourage people to go out to events and you know we have little cards right. you know we're hiring that we hand out to people yes we will consciously go and get involved in the ecosystem like I go and talk to universities all the time about startups and what they are mm-hmm. You know, I'm really passionate about helping people understand that startups is a great option for them to consider. And as a result of that, you'd be amazed at how many people go, oh, I should introduce you to my friend, and that friend ends up becoming an employee. So now that you, you're making this transition into a larger company, um, you, you have a bunch of roles to fill. And one of the things I often hear about with entrepreneurs who are roughly in your place that you sometimes have trouble finding technical talent or this talent or the other talent, where are, where do you think are the pain points for you as someone who's trying to build up your staff around that? Uh, I think there are heaps of pain points. Um, one, of the, one of the challenges of working in an ecosystem that is immature mm. is that there are just aren't people that have been there, done it before. Right. So you, it's really... In, in Brisbane at the moment, you really need to go and find the best possible people, but then teach them how to do a job in a startup. Right? And that's got, a, that's got a success rate, but it's also got a failure rate. Yes. Right? Oh, and people don't know that they, when they walk in, they may not be doing the thing they thought they were doing that day because you get a different hat on that day. Damn straight. Everyone wears a couple of hats. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some people love it. And some people get in and go, actually, you know, this, this is, is just for not for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are people who expect that what they think they're going to be doing is what they're going to be doing and don't relish what is it the uncertainty I don't know the roller coaster of a startup and you're right those people are not right for startups Um, so are there particularly have you had trouble finding technical talent have you had trouble finding sales talent or any of the other areas yeah so technical talent we've We've definitely had to work really hard to find great technical talent. Mm. We, Although I think that's probably true for everyone everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. I certainly wouldn't say that we've exhausted our options here in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're recruiting at the moment and we're, you know, I'm interviewing a person from New Zealand this afternoon. Ah, right. So, so we're, we're going to be poaching from Kiwiland. Yeah, absolutely. And um, then sales talent, there are no enterprise SaaS salespeople in the market here. So we have to go get salespeople that know how to sell and then teach them enterprise SaaS. Right. Which is interesting because there aren't any companies in Australia that would be because Atlassian's all online, yeah. right? So it's enterprise. It doesn't have an enterprise sales force because it kind of doesn't have a sales force. That's the one company you would think of that would be generating folks that you could then poach. Yeah. So you are in fact actually the the company that is generating the next generation of salespeople to be able to do the next SaaS startup that comes around, which and- is great. Except that. You know, the, as they say, you can identify the pioneers by the arrows in their back. Damn straight. And, yeah, we kind of like, we feel like it's part of our responsibility as well to, to help people, you know, to help people grow as much as they can while they're with us. Yeah. And then when they move on and go and hopefully go to another startup, that builds the ecosystem. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you give people these skills and they get bitten by the bug, chances are they're going to want to stay with it. What do we need to do now that... Brisbane is starting to get a critical mass. Mm. What do we need to think about? What do we need to keep our eye on to keep the ball rolling here and to keep it rolling faster? I think we're doing a number of really, really great things here. Um, you know, you heard from Steve before talking about Advanced Queensland, the initiative that, that the government's here. Steve and I are both on this uh, startup working group. We've been on that together now for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And the initiatives that we're really trying to foster there are, are, are paying dividends now in the ecosystem. I think the more we focus 
on building an ecosystem. The more we encourage people to come in as founders or as employees, the better off we will be. Uh, the more I, I think Brisbane's got an amazing opportunity. We have so much capital locked up in traditional industries that wants to be redirected into the startup ecosystem and now it's just a matter of introducing the those people to the ecosystem and we're and it's capital that's used to risk because a lot of it's mining investment right damn straight, and a lot yeah. of that is actually highly much more risky than we think of yeah and and there's large quantities so i think that what we'll see in the next 12 months is that capital start to consciously uh, flow into the ecosystem and that's going to help a lot all right last question what is the plan for red eye where do you want to be in five years uh, it's a great question I, I have this kind of belief that uh, if you can be number one or number two in the market so you can be the category leader mm. then you've got the right you've earned the right to to take it all the way yeah if you can't be number one or number two in the category then you really want to partner with or become part of the company that is number one or number two in the category right at this stage, I feel like we are genuinely the the, the main mover in this category yeah. globally, yeah. right? And we're getting, you know, we're in conversations with SAP, we're in conversations with a whole bunch of partners, and you never know where those could lead, whether that's uh, we partner more in the future, or, you know, I hope that Red Eye could be as big as SAP one day. Well, there, you know, what, what would the global market size be for engineering drawing management? I mean, does anyone even know? Because I don't know if anyone's ever thought of it that way, right? Yeah, when you think about it, everything that's built has engineering drawings, right? And, and everything that's maintained. Damn straight. And people are um, building new things all the time and upgrading their assets all the time. So we kind of figured when we did our kind of back of the envelope sums on this, there was roughly 40 trillion engineering drawings <laughs> right and that's growing every right, year right so it's an it's an amazing market and if you get two percent of that yeah <laughs> you're doing very well wayne gerard thank you very much for being on this week in startups australia great to be here thanks man brisbane is a great example of an ecosystem working very hard to boot itself into being that's not easy it takes a lot of hard work for a long time from a lot of people before things begin to chug along on their own. Steve Baxter, Aaron Birkby, and Wayne Gerard are all putting in those hard yards. It's good to see the Queensland government come along for the ride, but governments are fickle. Better by far that the River City community do it for themselves. Then they won't need to rely on patronage. Just good business ideas well executed. They've got everything up there they need to succeed. The rest is time and maybe a bit of luck. If you want to learn more about our guests, drop by our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. You'll also find behind-the-scenes photos, lots more. Check it out at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Big thanks to sponsors Braintree and Getworm. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Warmoth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that is consistently wonderful to listen to. Thanks to Steve Baxter, Aaron Birkby, and Wayne Gerard for making the time to come on our show. More thanks to the fine folks at River City Labs for providing the space for those interviews. We'll be back in a fortnight talking money and what money is turning into. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups, Queensland.